pockets up a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I let the dogs come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Friday Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today, I have a special guest. Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue is going to join me, and we're going to talk about his pick for an espionage movie and a game to run that movie series with. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. The only housekeeping I have is to remind you about BSRCon, the online convention that's happening in January. There are new games being added all the time. Check that out. The link is in the show notes. Also, Dave Kahn in Minneapolis, uh, old school in-person convention that's happening in April. Again, the link is in the show notes. So check those out. If you're able to attend either of those conventions, that'd be great. I am running games at both. The last thing I want to mention is this coming Sunday is going to be a special system Sunday. It's going to be a little bit of a longer show and a little bit different format, but I hope you enjoy it. This Sunday and then next Sunday, which is actually, you know, the 25th Christmas, I have special things set up for System Sunday, and then we'll get back into the normal System Sunday routine next year. Okay, so without further ado, let's get on with the interview. Joining me today on the next in my series of talks with prominent podcasters on their choices of espionage movies and games is Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue. How are you doing today, Che? Hey, pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, anytime. Anytime. And and I think you bring some really interesting choices today. So what do you want to talk about first, games or movies? I guess we ought to talk about the movie. Um, Okay. But yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, the I guess my favorite espionage movies. Okay, I'm going to rather um, slightly embarrassingly admit to being Mission Impossible, um, which is obviously a series of six films over what has it been? Ah, crikey, is it 2016 or something or 17? The last one, something like that. 2018. Yeah, it started in 1996. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then 2018 was the last release one. That there's going to be one this year or next year, 2023 which will be part one, and then part two will come out in 2024. Okay. And that's one of the things And it's yeah, one of the things I love about the series. So the first thing is that every now and then, Cruzy does another film. And, you know, it's just awesome, isn't it, really? And they've kept this going since 96. Yep. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, for me, it is the absolutely the ideal setting and setup for a role-playing scenario. Team of espionage agents, you know? Forget your bond on his own. Um, this is like a team, and everyone in that team is important. That's why I absolutely love about those films. I also love the fact that it's a, you know from episode, from the first film onwards, it's a disavowed group of agents, and um, you know it's just so cool, isn't it? it, isn't it? it yeah, it is. And and you know I haven't I never really gave thought about that before. We talk often like I I talked about noir films last month, and noir mm. typically 
is one person, maybe two people, but you know, it's hard to do a big group. And spy typically, and I've talked about this on this show before, you, you know, spy or espionage games are tough for big groups. But this is the atypical example, right? This is the way to do a group because this is you know, most spy movies, espionage movies have a set that single agent, that you know, superhero agent. But here we do have you know, a group and a good size group in some of these. In a couple of these movies, he's got what a do- maybe a dozen people assembled it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's certainly um, Mission Impossible uh, One has starts with uh, six of them as agents. Mm-hmm. You've got a kind of control back at base. You've got a crew of five, I think, out in the field, something like that. Right. Yeah. And then the mission goes horribly wrong. Big spoiler for anyone who's not seen it, obviously, since 1996. Um, and then. You know, Cruzy's character is disavowed. Uh, there's one survivor from his team, and then you go and recruit two more, I think, mm-hmm. um, and for the next part of the film, which is the iconic scene in the computer hub room, um, you know, dangling from the ceiling and all of that. Um, which, you know, it's... And what I love about it as well is it is absolute bunkum, right? It's absolutely amazingly wonderful cinematic bunkum. But they take seriously all of the spy tropes. Um, you know, in a way, I think sometimes Bond is very tongue-in-cheek. I think that Mission Impossible, they do it so straight-faced, so straight-laced, so seriously, and yet at the same time, you kind of know it's ridiculous and crazy. Um, You know, they're talking about, in 1996, they're talking about AI, the age of 686 AI computer, um, you know, and all this sort of stuff. It's just lovely. It's delightful and so much fun. And it doesn't matter how, I mean, the other thing as well, I guess, is that as they've come through, they kind of keep abreast of modern political stuff going on, and they comment on it. Uh, Rogue Nation, I think, is the last one. You mm-hmm. know, talking about Russia, really, and it's um, it's great. You know, it's good fun, and it sort of taps into the the tropes of the time. And I can't remember the spacing, but it's about something like every four, five, six years or something like that. They bung out another film, which is is good. I think it's a great way to take a life, you know, sort of a licensed IP, if you like, and, and just keep keeping it alive. You know, updating and updating, uh, and also amazing cast. I mean, um, you know, you think about all of the people that are involved in this film. It's just absolutely great. Uh, Tom Cruise is probably the weakest link in some of them, uh, in in lots of ways. You know, I mean, he is, you know, he is who he is, isn't he? But um, no, I love it all. I think it's great. I, no, I agree. Yeah, it, it's and they've had some really iconic directors. You know, they've been very fortunate. You know, started off with Brian De Palma, then we mm. did a John Woo and J.J. Abrams, then Brad Bird, who you know, Brad Bird, of course, you know, he's more of a animated film guy. You know the with with like the um incredibles and things like that but you know he did a great job with ghost protocol and, and then christopher mcguire has been doing it since mm. and really yeah like I say top-notch movies they really are really great um I, i'm glad you, you you mentioned that folks they're, they're well worth revisiting you know and, and like chase said there you know some silly stunts in there and some crazy stuff in there but that's okay you know, you you just kind of you can't totally turn your brain off because some of these plots aren't super straightforward. There there are ins and outs and hidden agendas and you you know some twists and turns, but they're but they're just just fun action films. No, absolutely. And I think like the the two things I want to talk about today kind of coincided. So I, is Mission Impossible two was that around about year two thousand? Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and so this the game I wanted to talk about is Spycraft. Um, mm-hmm. And Spycraft, I think, is 2002 and 2005. Yes. Uh, so 2002, uh, Spycraft is released. So this is um, D&D, the D&D third edition came out in 2000. And then 
uh, pretty straight along with it came the Star Wars D20 system, um, which introduced some changes to the game. And obviously you had the D20 SRD, um, you know, system reference document and the open game license, which is absolutely revolutionary thing for all of us. It's affected all of us. And one of the beneficiaries of that was... um, I think it was AEG who published uh-huh. Spycraft, which is the spy the spy role playing game, and um, and then in two thousand and five, Crafty Games was formed to develop and produce the Minecraft uh, version two, which I is the one game I kind of most focused on, I suppose. But there's two things to talk about. Because in 2002, when Spycraft came out, first of all, it was an incredibly high-quality hardback book with this beautiful, iconic art. And it was very serious. It was a very Bond-feeling cover, the original book. Um, and I remember getting it. It's got a sort of silvery-gray effect cover. And remember, mm-hmm. it's a lovely hardback book. Um, and having been really engrossed in Mission Impossible films, obviously, we now had the frame of reference for doing a, a spy game at the table. This is the thing that had always eluded me in the past. And everyone talked about spy games, you'd be thinking, like, well, it'll be great one on one. But of course, back in the 90s, no one did duet gaming. So, you know, it's a case of like, well, how do you do a spy game without it all, you know, going a bit wrong? Well, Mission Impossible gave us that frame of reference in 96 through 2000 ish, somewhere around there. And you get this game come out, which I think did a beautiful job of introducing sort of spy, the spy genre into role playing using the, the third edition rules. Uh, Spycraft 2 takes the 3.5 SRD, I think, and kind of develops it. But what's great is the game's so, it's so revolutionary in its own way. It does lots of things that, uh, you know, sort of develop the, the game itself, the actual first the mechanics of thing get kind of changed and tweaked and secondly it beautifully produces uh, by the time you get to spike off two you've got a game that could do pretty much any modern or near future thing you want to do um and do it better than d20 modern did and d20 modern was pretty good actually back in the day so and what I love about the game is you you kind of create characters who are based around um a sort of a you obviously have your tributes and everything, but you have a sort of an origin, which is you build from like a talent, you choose a talent and you choose a sort of a background before you were a spy. And then you have a sort of a class, a base class, and they're all kind of iconic, um, you know, types of characters like there's explorers and facemen and hackers and point men and i don't know soldier wheelman all sorts you know like you there's a list of um i don't know somewhere in around about 10 i think different kind of classes that basically you choose from and um you build your character i mean it is dnd 3.5 built so it's fairly crunchy and quite detailed um but then the whole game goes on to sort of um it did the thing that Star Wars introduced, which is split split vitality and wounds for for that. So you get actually much better approach to sort of dealing with gun combat and all the rest of that stuff because a straight hit point system doesn't work so well for that. Um, and then loads and loads of specialized little bits of um, of sort of rules and development of the systems. And while the time you get to Spycraft Two, what you have is a game that took, I think smooths out all of the bumps in that old game system and makes it really fly for spy games. It's a, it describes itself as a toolkit, and I think that's exactly what it is. It's just I mean you download the pdf now you still get it it's like 500 pages or something crazy um but it is a toolkit it's there it, you know everything you need to run a game build a game of pretty much any subgenre you want of modern or near future or even i suppose reason reasonably kind of post-apocalyptic even that sort of stuff gaming as well um and it's got all sorts of little dials and and options that you can twiddle and play with as the game control um uh, you you know you can modify the rules to make them grittier 
um, which would probably be my flavour a lot of the time. So if you want to play a sort of World War II espionage game where everyone can die really easily, um, you want to do that, you know, just get into the eagle's nest and Danny Boy and all of that, right? Uh-huh. Then you can dial it that way. Or if you want to, you know, they actually have a setting for um, Transformers. So you could dial it all the way up the other end and, you know, play big robot things and, um, you know, go completely sci-fi, really. Um, and you can do that all with the same set of, um, set of rules, really, which is absolutely awesome. In terms of Mission Impossible, I think that that fits right bang in the middle of what uh, the game is set to do. It's sort of pretty cinematic, but also fairly down, sort of grounded. It feels still kind of believable. Agents can die. Um, you know, that kind of, it's exciting. It's at that level. Um, and I, I just found it a really, really great system that absolutely nobody wants to play with me anymore. Um, but I suppose that's because largely we forgot about it, you know. Um, I, the amazing thing is that Crafty Games are still there. And I, I know having just the other day gone and had a look again, you know, you can get a bundle of the, all the key books for quite quite a reasonable price. I think it's 30 bucks or less, something like that. And and you've got everything plus like various option books as well with weapons and gear. And there are different settings available. Um, and it is just a great toolkit. Um, if you don't mind d20 rolling and you don't mind that that level of detail that crunch yeah interestingly enough they if you wanted to and your group was interested in it you could use this for everything because they also have fantasy craft fantasy craft is effectively these rules for D&D, right? Not exactly yeah. D&D, but for a fantasy setting with fantasy races and and, and everything goes to the fantasy game. Um, I So you would, I, I think you, did you buy your bundles at DriveThruRPG? No, I grabbed them from Crafty Games Direct, actually. I, yeah, um, I was going to bring that up because Crafty Games Direct sells them. Now, the Spycraft 2 is the same price as DriveThru, but they are DRM free. Mm. This classic Spycraft, as somebody, one of the older versions, are cheaper on Crafty Games' website than they are on Drive Through RPG, and again, mm. they're DRM free if people, you know, don't want to have a stamp of their name on their PDFs. Yeah, and I think like um, Spycraft, the original game, um, it has much more closely to sort of the early development of the 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 three point zero mm-hmm. SRD. What um, Tudor? I mean, I, in some ways, I I prefer the aesthetic of the original. I mean, it's a little bit more sort of realism and the artwork is that, I mean, the Spycraft 2 artwork is very cartoony, very, you know, in, in that sense. Um, but the tool, the toolkit you get with 2 is entirely flexible, whereas I think the original game was very much a sort of Bond and that kind of classic spy espionage feel. The, like you said, this game, uh, this, you know, update of the game kind of makes it much broader. And then with Fantasy Craft, yeah, you could pretty much run anything. Um, and, and it's not as crunchy as Pathfinder became, and it doesn't have as many option books as Pathfinder became, you know. So it's a really um, good, fun game. What I particularly like about it, though, is that there are all sorts of great bits for the the GM, the game control GC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got, like, how to build missions and you've got like like structures for that um so you've got a mission whole mission design section on you know basically what's the core idea i do call it plot unfortunately but you know what's the cool like core idea well who's your enemy what are the subplots that are going on here um and then you're looking at things like what's the motivation for the for the the team um and the another thing to say is that every single player character has subplots they have their own they choose their own kind of complicating factors that they can then their game control can then play with and draw into the main game so um 
I was looking through um, actually just before, to sort of come on to this and uh, mucking about with it. And, you know, you can have things like you can have everything from uh, actually tell the game control that you don't want to know what your subplot is and they can choose one and build one for you. Um, you can have like the amnesia subplot, for example, where you wake up Jason Bourne style. I have no idea who I am and where I come from. Uh, that's in there. You know, you've got um, you've got mystery as well. Like the guy who's you know really nice. Everyone who everyone thinks he's awesome, but nobody has any clue who he is and where he comes from. That kind of thing. And you get all sorts of different bonuses, uh, and, you know, and different abilities and things like that. Access to different feats and stuff that come from your background, which is what's linked to that. And the subplots kind of come out of that as you level up through the levels you can take new subplots so as they get resolved you get bonuses and you know xp and everything um but as as you know as you go through you can develop new ones and obviously just drawing from what's going on in your campaign and i just think that's great it's a really dynamic feedback loop you know the, the game control is setting up these missions you're doing them but then the players are thrown in these suggestions of subplots and things that can go on which then the game control can pick up on um and and it's just a lovely feedback loop going on which i i think actually is worth revisiting you know i i'd really had forgotten about it i mean you know talking like nearly 20 years ago um but i think it's a really worthwhile product just from that looking at that how that works and how that dynamic looks you know it's quite a good fun um and and i think there are the antecedents and uh, yeah the forerunners of um many many things that have come into the hobby or into gaming you know over the years so like slightly abstracted ways of doing gear kind of turned up here um and you know lots and lots of little bits and pieces about um like how to run your game um that i think uh, are just kind of interesting uh they took away for example from npcs all of the core attributes they made the game so that you don't need to test attributes there are no attribute tests in this there are skill tests and there are like various feats and different things you have but it means that you'll as a G, you know, as a gm or game control you only have to worry about like very few stats for your npc you can focus on the color and the narrative uh you don't have so many numbers to worry about and, and sort of push that again back towards the players so i guess in some ways it's it's got the feel of what monty cook's done later on with the cyber system of sort of pushing things back towards the players in terms of mechanism um which does of course mean that it's you know it's played with the rules very much in front of you uh, i guess and, and the detail you know right up there but um yeah it's fun really good laugh of a game to go with a really great laugh of a series of films which you know immediately you say to me you know you say to me espionage that's the first game that comes to mind and i know that there's like the spy game the fifth edition thing um but i don't know there's something about the old spycraft game that really is just classy very nice yeah i i'm gonna pick these up i so you, you may know i'm in a i'm a player in a pathfinder one game we're doing the yeah. wrath of the righteous adventure um path and joe richter's running that from hindsight listen we're having a lot of fun with it we just played yesterday as we record you know lots of fun but it is kind of crunchy but you know once you kind of get into that that's not necessarily a bad thing if you know to play that kind of style game because there's room to play different kinds of rpgs right different yeah, kinds absolutely. of games and yeah. so i guess mike and it's interesting because this came out the spycraft came out during a period i wasn't into rpgs it was mm -hmm. kind of one of my breaks so I, this totally skipped me. I, I wasn't aware. I, I mean, I've seen the name Spycraft on forums and things, but I mm. didn't know anything about it. So now you've really piqued my interest. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I do have one question for you system-wise with this. Mm. That, um, so it's kind of 3.5 base, which like kind of like Pathfinders. Is combat with this, uh, obviously you can do Pathfinder Theater of the Mind, but 
it works better because of attacks opportunity, things like that. Pathfinder works better with grids and actual, you know, combat maps and tokens mm. or, or figures in person. What's the in the in this game without getting too in depth? Is this something that would work pretty well, theater of the mind, or is it more of a maps and minis kind of game or tokens and battle maps on a VTT? Well, you know, you look in the book and you're going to see that maps and minis kind of thing that came from the third edition there in the book. You know, if I look at the, I'm looking at like the line of sight diagram is on a grid. I can see the, like the different attacks and everything else, like on a grid. But then I remember playing it without that. And I think it's the same with like Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition. I think people who haven't played that game, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are in Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition. There are on three point five. There are many, many great tactical advantages come from playing on a grid. There are little bits and pieces of the rules that kind of like come out really, really well. And I think with Spike Off, that may well be true. I think that there may well be you know some things that really leverage that. But I remember when we played, uh, you know, back around sort of two thousand to two thousand five, um, we didn't really bother too much with it. Um, largely because you know, I didn't really have much in the way of minis and maps at that time. I mean, we were used to playing Third Tier of Mind. So I don't remember it being a game that required all of that sort of detail. Um, but that being said, you know, if you look in the book, genuinely, I can't lie to you, you know, if there's mm-hmm. plenty of diagram stuff. I just don't think it was as emphasized uh, as, you know, again, I haven't read it in a while in detail, but I don't think it was as emphasized as perhaps the earlier games in the D20 system were. Um and I think, you know, think about 2005, that's just the beginning of the demise of 3.5. The bubble is bursting. Um, Crafty Games breaks away from AG because they can't, they don't, you know, they, they're letting go of that, that line. And these guys are sort of taking it off to do their own thing with it. Um, and I think that, you know, by then, you know, we're starting to look at the beginning of the, um, you know, the SRD uh, being turned into what will become the OSR stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2006 is you know where you start seeing that stuff turning up so i think that you know there's a this game reflects its era as well in that changeover from very wargamey back uh-huh. towards more sort of storytelling feeling um so i think you could do either and i you know for me i you know you know my taste um i think i would be playing at theater of mind anyway um you know it's, it's just like suits that quite well i think if that answers your question it, it does because when i think even with a group dynamic like mission possible you kind of think to me i think more theater of the mind you might throw a diagram up like okay mm-hmm. here's the theater where, where you know you guys are doing your your operation because you know whatever's happening or, or mm-hmm. whatever the the venue is or wherever they're doing their mission but typically you, you don't I, I don't think of maps and minis when I think of spy games. So that's kind yeah. of why. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, the rule book probably belies me in some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some things that, you know, really, so for example, there are no attacks of opportunity, which is one of the old D20 game mm-hmm. kind of rules in this at all. Um, but then I went, you know, I'm looking at the page with blast rules on it and it's sort of saying how it has a base area effect, which is measured in squares, you know. So I guess, you know, this this idea of the five foot square and everything, it very much is still part of that culture. But mm-hmm. as I said, I that's not really how we played. You know, I, I think if we'd have a grenade going off, it's pretty easy in our head to get how, how many, you know, 10 feet increments of <laughs> blast you've got going on there. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I think sometimes there's this tendency, I think, you know, with the D20 system to overemphasize that that element of like the tactical battle mat thing um mm-hmm. because even as somebody who played from 2000 we got into D third edition straight away in 2000 as a group and we played it for 
way over five years um in amongst other d20 system stuff at the time and i don't really remember using minis and maps that much you know what i mean we 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 might have broken them out for a particularly big complicated fight but um i i really don't have that's a much later thing for me that's like when i kind of i think for me like more like the last sort of five or ten years that i experiment with that especially when we got back online and we started using vtt's that sort of a there's been a, a revisitation of that um and i know that i've heard people like you know justin alexander who played um you know 3.0 and 3.5 for years saying that there are all sorts of tactical advantages to playing with minis and mats with that game and that's correct but i'm not sure that um we did you know and, and i'd kind of like to emphasize that you know i think that even if a rule book is telling you that you can use it that way or encouraging you to use that way you just don't have to you know i i i sometimes think people who are anti the game system throw that one out there as a as if it were a big bad thing um but you know the d20 system is pretty robust and detailed certainly um you know i'm looking at the skill section for example there are also examples of things that you can do with each skill breaking down how the game control can run that at the table you know really giving you that detail but again you know you're going to have the book in front of you and reference that or you're just going to like wing it based off what you remember and then you know if it really matters look it up and try and you know next time or whatever that's i don't remember again playing these games with a book at the table and looking stuff up very often we know we were pretty loosey-goosey i suppose (laughs) sure no no that totally answers my question because it's kind of like savage worlds when you think savage worlds especially maybe you know not anymore because it's it's much more of established as kind of a semi-universal role-playing game now but early on you know people thought savage worlds you think well maps and minis and all you know from the history but really savage worlds plays really well theater of the mind as well you you don't need maps and minis and and so just because it's you you know you you totally answer my question i'm definitely going to pick these books up i'm very happy that you brought them up yeah, I mean, they're big. That's the own downside, I think. There's there's just so much in there. Um, and a lot of it is detail. And, you know, an awful lot of the pages are like this feat and you can do this amazing thing. And it's all sort of broken down in incredible detail for you. Um, one of the nice things as well is they do do a deck of cards that is about um, sort of various different effects and things that you can play with, um, which is quite nice. You just download that as a, uh, I think it's a freebie on there along with the character sheets and everything else on the crafty games.com i think it is um so they're quite nice as well you know just print them off and there's all these different um uh you know different options of things that you can do um and you know some rules that um often don't get missed out of games i mean you mentioned savage world which has put these in over the years but you know chase rules mm-hmm. in there uh which is something obviously is hugely important for a spy game but also rules for brainwashing rules obviously for hacking um and you know infiltration itself kind of like how to to run that through that stuff through uh an interrogation how to run that manhunt how to run that like actually what you're looking at here is a series of all the different dramatic conflicts that come up in a come up in an espionage film and then sort of breaking it down into a process for you if you're trying to run that game so you know a seduction scenes and and those kind of missions as well so you know all of that stuff's in there and given you know two or maybe just two or three pages of like here's how to run this here's how to like set up the timing here's the different strategies that might come in how to how to run it you know and i think all that stuff is just really rich kind of fun stuff really excellent well thank you so much for 
like I said, introducing me to this game and, 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 and really get me excited about it. And hopefully listeners have in, enjoyed this as well. So I really appreciate your time, Che. And anybody that's, you know, not listened to Roleplay Rescue, get over there. Che does a wonderful podcast. He also has a blog where, where he throws things up. And I'll put a link to all things Roleplay Rescue in the show notes, as well as links to where they can, to Crafty Games website where you can get this stuff. So thank oh. you very much. Thanks for having me, mate. It's great. Okay. Take care. Game on. And that's it, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Go check out Che's show, Roleplay Rescue. He also has a blog. Lots of great information over there. Also, go check out Cerebrivore. So tomorrow's episode of Cerebrivore that drops on the 16th of December, we're going to talk about collecting RPGs. Then on the 23rd of December, next Friday... Che, who you just heard, is going to join us to talk about recycling RPG settings and IP, you, you know, re, recycling of licenses and certain settings and things like that in RPGs. And then on the 30th of December, the last episode of the year, Daniel and Taylor join me again to talk about Chainmail and OD&D. So we have some great episodes of Cerebrivore coming up. Don't miss those. There's a link to Cerebrivore in the show notes. That drops every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Now, if you have any comments about anything that Shane and I have talked about today, you can reach me a number of different ways. They're all listed in the show notes. There's a Google Voice number for U.S. callers. There's SpeakPipe for anybody, especially for international callers. There's You can send an email. The email address is there. If you go to the Anchor website you can leave a message there you can find me on discord i'm on a variety of discords and you can send me a dm if you send me an audio file i'll play it on the air make you famous if you send me a text message or you know regular email i'll read it on the air so i really want to hear your feedback and what you think please reach out to me the only thing left to do here is to thank che once again for coming on the show to thank you the listener for taking time out your day to listen to the show to thank Ray Otis for the wonderful coffee cup clip art. Thank TJ Drennan for the excellent music and to ask you to be excellent to each other. Joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moil's body zipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck